Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you enjoy Jerusalem Unplugged, you may also like to listen to Stories from Palestine podcast. My name is Crystal. I am originally from the Netherlands. I am married to a Palestinian and I live in Beit Safafa between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. I studied history and tour guiding and I produce a weekly podcast called Stories from Palestine. You can find it on your favorite podcast player or go to the website storiesfrompalestine.info Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the only podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. Your host, Roberto Matza, will bring you guests discussing their relationship with the Holy City. A journey through history, society, feelings, and hopes for the future. Follow the podcast on all social media platforms at Jerusalem Unplugged. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today it's with great pleasure that I have two guests, not only one, Faisal Saleh and Nancy Nesbet. Faisal is the founder and director of the Palestine Museum US, and with him we're going to extensively talk about the museum, its activities, and exhibitions. And Nancy is the curator of the current exhibitions that is uh, possible to visit in Venice, Palestine with art. Now, before we are delving into the questions, I would also extend my thanks to Isabella Chiadini. Isabella uh, is a regular listener uh, of a podcast and uh, she got in touch with me and eventually she managed to send me the contest and organize uh, this episode. So Isabella, thank you so much and I hope you will enjoy, uh, together with all of the other listeners, this podcast. Now, the first question I want to ask both of you is uh, if you can tell us a little bit uh, more about your background and how did you decide to uh, establish the Palestine Museum for you, Faisal, and how did you get into uh, the uh, exhibition in Venice for Nancy? Um, well, thank you. Um, just a, a bit of background about myself. Um, I was born uh, in the town of Albira, which is part of the Twin City of Ramallah. 
1951. Uh, my family was a refugee family that uh, lost uh, their home in a village called Selama, which is five kilometers uh, east of uh, Jaffa in 1948, and I was the 11th child uh, for that family. I grew up in the West Bank uh, and attended public schools there, and uh, I came to the U.S. to finish the last year of my high school in 1969. Um, after attending high school and college, uh, I proceeded to uh, work in business and um, did a lot of uh, entrepreneurial work and after uh, over 40 years of working in the business world i realized i haven't done anything for palestine and as you know every palestinian uh, yearns to serve palestine in any way possible and as i looked around and i talked to some people and got involved in some activities uh, it became clear to me that uh, we have no museums in the Western Hemisphere at the time, at least. And it was uh, really a great opportunity to uh, introduce Palestinian art to the Western world and create the first Palestinian museum in, in the Western Hemisphere. So th that's uh, how the Palestine Museum uh, came to exist. And, and that's uh, my background and how I got there. So, how we got into the Venice Biennale and about the exhibit. Um, I'm Nancy Nesbitt, and thank you so much, Roberto, for having us on the podcast today. Um, once I became head curator of the Palestine Museum US, um, I was looking for opportunities to announce to the world um, how good Palestinian artists were, which is exactly what Faisal's mission is, to show the world the expertise um, of Palestinian artists. So when I'd been there um, about six months, I said to him, uh, we should be in the Venice Biennale. And he, um, after a little um, hesitation perhaps, um, assented. And we were off on the journey and the journey was very complicated. Um, I wrote a 26 page application um, and we had to be very, very exact about how we were going to do the exhibit, what was in it, the artists, um, their bios and the work itself. And some of the work was not yet created. So we had very little time to contact the artists and say, would you like to make a new work? for this. Um, no work that had been in any exhibition before was allowed to be in our exhibition at the Venice Biennale. So we put together a show and um, we went to the third floor of the building that Faisal um, Museum is in, which was empty of furniture and stuff. And we literally laid out the exhibit exactly as it would be in this room. Um, and then um, all the elevations and floor plans went in and we quaked and wondered what was going to happen. We should mention that we had to apply as a collateral exhibit at the Venice Biennale. 
um, there are three ways that people can apply to be an official part of the Venice Biennale. The first is a cater of artists that's specifically picked by Cecilia Alemane, the curator of the entire Biennale, and they have single solo shows right within the Arsenale, which is the venue of the, um, of the Venice Biennale. The second way that you're chosen or rather included is as a national pavilion. We did pursue that, but Palestine is not considered a nation by Italy and doesn't have an embassy in Italy. And those are the parameters for qualifying as a national exhibition. So we were left to apply as a collateral exhibition, which means an exhibition that's sponsored by organizations that is not sponsored by a nation or that's represented in Italy, okay, and is very often held off-site in beautiful venues like ours at Palazzo Mora. Um, so we put in our application and we were delighted, absolutely, that Cecilia Alemani, who handpicks all of the collateral exhibitions by herself with no one else's interaction, um, chose us perhaps because of the importance of including a Palestinian exhibition within the Biennale, and hopefully because she saw the work that we were going to exhibit and thought that it was absolutely beautiful and meritorious of the work exhibited at the Venice Biennale. Um, I do wanna mention that, um, that we got calls constantly from the people at Palazzo Mora where we were going to have the exhibition. Um, Rennie there was calling weekly and saying, did you get in? Did you get in? So he was the first call after Faisal called me um, to tell that we had been admitted to the exhibition. And we were off. Um, and we did, we got the work there in rather unorthodox ways, um, hand carrying a lot of it on a plane as hand luggage, um, rolled up and put in telescopic um, cases. Um, that was Faisal's idea. And I will tell him that it was totally brilliant. Um, and then he rented a big Volvo car when we got to Milan and um, took it directly to the framer where we, it was restretched and framed. Um, we had the photographs redone at an excellent facility in Italy. Um, and then they went to the framer directly and got delivered to Palazzo Mora. So we did avoid a lot of the exigencies of other people who had shipping difficulties at the Biennale. And that was all due to Faisal's rather unorthodox but brilliant approach to putting the show together and getting the work done. So I applaud him for that. Mm -hmm. Nancy, I think we should also point out that uh, there were only 30 collateral events selected so we were one of those 30 and at uh, palazzo mora the venue of our exhibit uh, we are the only official binali exhibit out of uh, over a hundred exhibits in that uh, venue well the only thing i feel like uh, to say now is mobru congratulations i mean the way it happened and of course i believe what is important is to have this kind of visibility given the world stage that the Biennale in Venice provides to uh, all of the artists and, you know, the possibility to be 
uh, admired by just regular people walking by Venice, visiting Venice, and who normally go around the city and just they have this possibility to visit all of these exhibitions. I want to go back to the museum and Faisal and asking you something about uh, the choice made to open a museum in the US. You mentioned that you realized there were no uh, Palestinian museums in the Western world, uh, certainly in America. And so I was wondering, why do you think it was important to tell a Palestinian story through the arts and not other means? Um, as you know, uh, there are a lot of people who are trying to tell the Palestinian story through other means. There are a lot of political uh, organizations, uh, organizations that advocate for Palestinian rights and a lot of uh, human rights uh, advocacies also. And a lot of people uh, are engaged in um, a lot of efforts on behalf of the Pal Palestine. Uh, and uh, that field is really very crowded uh, and there's quite a few people in it. However, um, the art field uh, was basically empty, uh, virtually empty, and a vacuum existed. Um, and uh, I'm not uh, an art, I don't have an, an art background. Uh, I was basically a, a business person. And, um, but as I saw the opportunity there, uh, I felt uh, that using the arts is a more effective way to tell our story uh, because art speaks to the heart. Uh, politics speaks to the mind. And as you know, uh, the heart has the bigger influence on people. Uh, if you get people's hearts, uh, the minds will follow. And uh, in the United States, uh, um, Palestine is not a very well-known uh, item. Uh, and unfortunately, for those who know uh, about Palestine, uh, have been uh, have absorbed a lot of the negative uh, narrative uh, that uh, Israel and its friends have been uh, perpetuating uh, in the not just in the United States, but also in the Western world. So our job is to really educate um, the American public and the Western public uh, in general uh, about Palestine, its history, its people, uh, and to debunk uh, many of the myths uh, that they were spread around by uh, the enemies of, of Palestine. And I'm happy to uh, um, give you examples of those if you want. Um, so, uh, yes, I, I was going to ask you, in fact, out of curiosity, what do you think, you know, the general American audience does not know about Palestine and what you think, uh, you know, Americans should know about Palestine and Palestinians? Yes. Uh, it, it, it's not unusual for the American audience, American public, not to know something about a foreign country. Uh, in general, most Americans are really not focused on on events uh, abroad. They're mostly uh, absorbed by what goes on in the United States, and only occasionally when something flares up, like when Afghanistan was, there was a war in Afghanistan, when uh, you see the Ukraine, for instance, uh, uh, that their attention is attracted temporarily for a short period of time. So it, it is uh, 
uh, it's an effort uh, to attract the attention to things that are happening uh, abroad. So the kind of things we would like uh, Americans to know about uh, is, first of all, we, we would like to undo the things that they've, that they've learned about from the mainstream media uh, that basically uh, um, reflects and magnifies the Israeli narrative. And, and um, the, the, the Western main, the main um, sorry, mainstream media focuses on uh, violence uh, and basically uh, portrays Palestinians in a negative light, uh, make us all look like terrorists, uh, and, and things like that. And uh, that couldn't be farther from the truth. So um, what we want the Americans to know about is that Palestinians are humans. Uh, we have uh, artists who excel in the arts, uh, just like any other nation. And there are some um, facts that were misrepresented about Palestine and that such examples of that would be like like when uh, Israel was created, that Palestine was a desert and, and, and the Jewish immigration to Palestine and the Zionism made the desert bloom and there was no such thing as Palestine and all these uh, kind of lies that, that they were spread. And uh, we want Americans to know that there was Palestine and it was a vibrant society and there were a lot of people in Palestine to the tune of close to one million people uh, and they had their cultural institutions, they had theaters, uh, they had music, they had art, poetry, literature, um, a thriving meet, uh, journalist, journalism. Uh, and uh, we have been featuring all these things through films and through other kind of activities uh, and covering things that were going on from 1900 to 1948 when Israel was established to debunk that that story that, that Palestine uh, uh, was empty and it had nothing there and there were no such thing as Palestinians. Uh, we still, till today, uh, experience uh, a significant number of what we call Palestine deniers. And the Palestine deniers are the people who got their brains washed and believe the, the, the myth that there was no such thing as Palestine. Uh, right now, there's probably about 10 million Palestinians at least, and they're all around the world. They're in the West Bank, they're in, inside the 1948 Palestine, they're in Gaza, they're in refugee camps in Jordan, in Syria, and in Lebanon, and throughout the, the, the exile. Uh, and uh, so our job as a museum is really to sh showcase the artwork that's being produced uh, by those people. Uh, and the artwork is not necessarily political. I mean, if you look through our exhibits, you'll be hard pressed uh, in finding anything political. Uh, the only reason you see the flag behind me is because uh, in Jerusalem, people are banned uh, from raising the Palestinian flag. And you can go to prison for years uh, for, for displaying a Palestinian flag. And you can be arrested on the spot and beaten up with clubs on your head and on your arms and things for simply having a Palestinian flag on your person and showing it. Uh, so we, for the first time in, in four years, we have displaying a Palestinian flag simply to uh, 
support the people who in Jerusalem who wanted to raise these flags and who are unable to, and we are raising these flags on their behalf. Um, Roberto, so, if, if I may, um, just to emphasize that, um, conceding that all art is political, whether we admit it or not, um, and also conceding that the film series run by the museum um, every Saturday at noon um, Eastern Standard Time US and Eastern Daylight Time US, um, which is seven o'clock um, PM Palestine time. Um, a lot of the films are necessarily have a political bent, all right? But when we exhibited in Venice and to a great degree at the museum, the art is not specifically political, all right? Um, there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, film is a much more extended time for you to see it. Um, you get much less time to be confronted with artwork that's only a visual work, a still visual work in front of you, whether a photograph or a painting. All right, so you need to get the message that that work is sending out immediately. And in a, to a degree, you need to get that empathic response to the work that's in front of you as well. All right, so when I created this exhibition, um, there was a purposeful curatory initiative here. And what that was, was not to show the violence um, at all. Um, we see that in the news every day. Um, and whereas we see it in the news and you to a degree get jaded seeing it day after day after day and you're not really paying attention to it anyway. And we were having people of various ages at the exhibit and there is some work where I would not want to a young child to be confronted with it, okay? But much more, there was a purpose to this, that all the work, whether landscape work or work of depicting people in the exhibit, shows the beauty of Palestine's land and people. In addition to that, we have a map on the floor that is a material that literally is stuck to the floor and you can walk on and are, are encouraged to um, by Salman Sita. And um, he's a cartographer um, who's published a number of books about Palestine. He's also the president of the Palestine Land Society and founder of it. All right. And what that map is, is an 1877 map of Palestine with all the Arabic names still there of all the towns that have since been changed um, into generally Hebrew names. So it's number one evidence that there were people that were living in these towns. These towns existed as far back as the end of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and now they still exist, but with different names. And we encouraged people to walk on it and if they were from Palestine or their genealogy was to find the town that their people came from and literally bend down, you know, look at it, et cetera. Um, excuse, and me, Nancy. Did. Mm -hmm. Nancy, excuse me. Um, uh, one, one thing we should point out about the map also, in addition to what you said, is that the map shows uh, about 500 uh, villages and towns uh, that mm -hmm. Israel has destroyed and totally erased 
uh, off the map, off the current maps. And those 500 villages are present and exist on that map from 1877. Uh, so we, we are uh, pointing that out to people that despite Israel's erasure of these communities and, and villages, they still exist as far as Palestinians are concerned, and they are on that on that map. Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, just go back to the museum, uh, Roberto, and, uh, uh, you know, finish talking about, you know, what is the mission of the museum? And we talked about telling the Palestinian story through the arts. And the museum has two audiences, basically. It has the the audience uh, that's made up of, of the Western world and other people around the world. And also it has pal the Palestinians as an audience. The Palestinians, of course, uh, is a very important uh, audience. And our mission there really is to strengthen and enhance the Palestinian identity. Uh, the Palestinian identity is under attack uh, uh, by the enemies of Palestine, and they are trying, as we mentioned earlier, to erase Palestinians. And by emphasizing the Palestinian nature of the art that we're exhibiting and creating a Palestinian museum in the middle of the United States, uh, we are giving Palestinians something to celebrate and to, to make them feel pride in, in a Palestinian institution uh, that did not exist before. And as Palestinians visit the Palestine Museum or walk into the exhibition uh, at the Venice Biennale, um, they're overcome with, with emotion. Uh, they feel for the first time they are walking into a place of their own. For years, years and years, they, we walked into other people's museums. Uh, every museum we went to was somebody else's museum. But so, so now for the first time, we can walk into our own museum and be very proud of the fact that this is a Palestinian institution and this is another institution that proves our existence, enhances it, and reminds us of our Palestinian identity. And to this point, I want to ask you something about uh, the exhibitions, you know, just to give a, a sense um, to the listeners, you know, what kind of material is uh, exhibited at the museums? Uh, who are the uh, artists? And what are, if you can tell us something about their work and, you know, how do they interact also with uh, the museum and with the uh, visitors of the museum? Yeah, let, let me provide an introduction and then I'll turn it over to Nancy to talk about the specifics of, of the artwork. But the, uh, the Palestine Museum is a unique museum. We're not like other museums because we have a unique mission and a, and a unique purpose. So the museum um, really strives to represent as many Palestinian artists as possible across the board from different geographies, different styles of art, um, different uh, demographics, if you will. Uh, and it also, uh, it, it exhibits things besides the typical artwork you see at a museum. We have a lot of artifacts. You know, we have pots and pans that they were used in Palestine in the, in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Uh, we have burners that people used for cooking and heating water for dozens of years before electricity was there and before gas was there. Uh, and we have a lot of things that described uh, 
the way of life that existed in Palestine um, in, in the early part of the 20th century and in the mid part of the century. Uh, we also have embroidery, uh, which is a very important Palestinian sim symbol. Uh, we have a lot of embroidery pieces and full thopes on mannequins and things of that sort. We have maps, uh, we have stamps, we have uh, almost a full coin collection from, from Palestine uh, from 1926 through 1946, which is the period during which the British mandate had uh, minted coins to be used uh, in Palestine. So there are historic photographs, uh, there are so much things. So when people come to the museum, uh, the first thing that they remark about, it says, my God, this is a lot bigger than we thought. We didn't think it was going to be anything like that. Uh, and, and they're awed by the spread and, and the range of things they see and the actual physical space, which is 6,500 square feet of space. As they enter the, the function room, which holds 150 people, they think that's the entire museum. But the, uh, as they walk into a side door into the rest of the museum, then they're really shocked to see that there's a whole big space there besides just the the room that they enter it into. So uh, I'll let Nancy talk a bit more about the artists and how we work with them and the nature of the art and the type of the art. Thank you, Roberto. So, you know, as I was saying, in the exhibition specifically in Venice, um, the mantra was to show the beauty of the people in photographs and in paintings and the beauty of the landscape, again, in paintings and photographs. Um, of Palestine so that people would walk out of there and the message that I hope they would get is we cannot destroy this land, we cannot see it destroyed, okay, which harks back to the news that's coming out, but in a very artistic, empathic way, all right. So that's number one. And I did want them to stand in front of the, um, the photographs and the paintings and see these people and empathize with them and with their situation to a great degree. All right. So the museum itself um, has an inordinate amount of works. Um, I think um, about 300 works that it owns and constantly displays, um, as well as having things in the museum in Connecticut. We've also um, staged exhibitions in Washington, DC. Um, in three different galleries there. Um, we've also um, had other exhibitions around the world as well as Venice and continue to do so. Um, we also have this film series that I mentioned um, every Saturday noon um, Eastern US time um, that is absolutely free. All you have to do is go to the website, www.palestinemuseum.us and um, what you do is you click on events if you want to see the films or anything else and register and you will be sent a Zoom link um, so that you can see the film itself. And there's always a Q&A afterwards with either the director of the film, the producer, actors who are in it. Um, and that goes on for upwards of an hour um, with the um, 
with the pe people who are watching it, sending in questions and getting them answered as well as comments. And we generally have about 150, 200 people watching each film. So that's great. Um, and uh, Nancy, they, yeah. they come from about 30 countries usually. They do, they do. And then um, we also have a series that we do on some Sundays at this point, we were doing it a lot more um, during the pandemic when people couldn't visit the museum, but um, we've had everyone that's involved with Palestinian culture somehow on the show. Um, we've had chefs, authors, poets, um, people who wrote books, literature. Um, we've had a lot of um, artists, um, film filmmakers, port portrait artists, um, sculptors, painters, photographers. Um, we've had academics, we've had politicians, we've had people who are journalists who write for um, publications, including Haaretz. Um, we've had a number of people having very, very interesting creatives talks, because when I think of them, rather than saying it's artist talks, it's creatives who aim to make a better world. And they yeah, should. Uh... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I should point out, Nancy, that the, the museum has identified 12 categories of art uh, that we as an institution follow and feature. And uh, Nancy mentioned a, a good number of those. Maybe she didn't mention dance, maybe uh, music and uh, mm -hmm. uh, she mentioned the uh, um, the culinary arts. Um, we so we celebrate all these arts and we feature those arts 
in everything we do, not just uh, on, on the vir virtual programming, but also in the museum itself. Uh, so we, we, we are not really limited to visual arts per se. Yes, as a matter of fact, a lot of what we've done lately is music, um, that we've had concerts um, featuring opera singers, um, violin trios, um, string trios, um, et cetera. Um, one of them was at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, um, which was a really, really beautiful venue that hosted um, an oud band um, who, headed up by Ronnie Malley, who actually lives in Chicago um, near where you are, Roberto, um, and who traveled to San Francisco to do that concert, which was wildly popular. Um, so we're, we continue to do a number of music venues at our opening. Um, ceremony and dinner um, in Venice, we actually had a wonderful opera singer um, who, who did Palestinian songs as well as Italian opera. Um, so we continue to engage in all of the arts. And that's why Venice was such an important project for us, because it literally put Palestine on the world stage, on the world artistic stage, that a lot of people now realize how good Palestinian art is across the board, all of the arts. And um, as I understand it, I have not corroborated this, but um, we're getting from 500 to 800 people a day at our exhibition in Venice. Actually, um, Nancy, we're averaging 100 visitors per hour uh, yeah. at, at the... Uh, exhibit uh, in Venice. There's also um, a sign outside of the Palazzo Mora building on the street, on one of the streets of Venice that uh, advertises um, our exhibit as an official Binali collateral event exhibit with the red Binali uh, lion logo that people passing by see it and get very curious and they, they go through the gate and come in to see the exhibit. And fortunate, fortunately, all the exhibits at the Palazzo More, including uh, ours, uh, are free of charge. They can visit the entire building with all its exhibits for free. They don't have to have tickets. They can just drop in as they walk by, by the building. Um, but um, I wanted to just point out a few things about the Venice Binale, in addition to what, what Nancy has described, is when we figured out what we really want to convey in that binale. We wanted to make sure that the important Palestinian symbols are fully incorporated in a big way uh, at that exhibit. And uh, one of those symbols uh, you see in the map, uh, and the map shows Palestine from the river to the sea. From the river to the sea is a very important Palestinian principle that Palestinians consider Palestine to be from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, and they are not willing uh, to give up on any uh, inch of that of that land, and, and that's a very important Palestinian symbol uh, that is um, strongly uh, displayed uh, and, fe and featured. Um, uh, you will also see that we, uh, at, at Nancy's uh, uh, creative suggestion uh, featured uh, a live olive tree, uh, which is olive trees are uh, important. It, 
important Palestinian symbol because the olive tree uh, lives for, for a long time. There are trees in Palestine um, that are over two or 3,000 years old that still exist. And those olive trees also have another symbol attached to them, which are keys from Palestinian homes that refugees in 1948 took those, locked up their doors and took those keys with them hoping or thinking they're going to come back in a month or two and go back to their homes and unlock them with those keys. Those keys uh, exist 74 years after the, after the people lost their homes. And these represent a very important symbol. It's the symbol of the right of return, the right of Palestinian refugees to return their homes. That right has not uh, been given up by any Palestinian and Palestinians cling to that right and that right is on full display with those keys uh, at the Venice, Venice Binali also. So uh, we also see another important symbol, which is the embroidery symbol, symbol uh, that reflects each village's uh, motifs and style uh, of embroidery. And that the embroidery is a very important Palestinian uh, tra um, uh, tradition. Um, so, um, there could be uh, as well other uh, symbols there that uh, I didn't mention, but the uh, as you walk into um, the exhibit hall, uh, people are awed by at least one of the one of the uh, images there of a three meter Nabil Anani uh, landscape of Palestine. That's that's a, a mesmerizing uh, view of Palestine. Uh, that exists nowhere else. Um, and um, we, we've seen people walk in there and cry as they enter because of the impact, the emotional impact they feel. And, and some of those people are not even Palestinian in some cases. Yes, I, I do want to add um, just a couple of things um, that, yes, we, we did exhibit two antique tobes, which is the robe that Palestinian women wear, um, that are embroidered with the symbols of the place that that tobe originated at, all right? But directly opposite that and covering the entrance to the room, um, which is nine feet high, the entranceway, um, is a, um, not an embroidery, but a printed fabric of embroidery that looks like a tobe covering the door. And that was created by an artist named Sam Samar Husseini. All right. And the point is that these antique tobes are directly facing this contemporary treatment of a tobe, announcing that even though the antique ones are 100 years old, we go on and we're still entering under the mantle of an embroidered tobe going into the Palestine exhibit. Um, we, as far as um, the Nabil Anani, most beautiful painting that again is several meters, as Faisal said, that you're looking directly at when you enter the room. It's flanked on both sides by two paintings that are smaller, that are painted by Taki Sabatin. And one of them, is a gorgeous Palestinian landscape um, with the sun rising over it. And if when you go close, you can see the electric wires 
um, that have marred the landscape, the contemporary that's come into what was and possibly destroyed the beauty of the hills that it depicts. Um, so there are, there are subtle signs of contemporary Palestine against old Palestine throughout the exhibit. Um, there's a beautiful photograph of a woman selling figs. And she's doing that from her own trees that were planted possibly a hundred years ago and still thriving and bringing them to market to support herself as a woman in contemporary society. At the same time, there's a beautiful painting of a salt worker. A salt worker is an occupation that's on the low end of the economic scale, that's usually held by women and is one of the hardest occupations you can imagine, um, literally extracting salt from water that people are raking through um, every single day, um, blistering in the sun. So we have that kind of thing going along, but we also have um, a painting of a loving couple in Palestine. We have gorgeous landscapes, um, a number of other things. So we're bringing a plethora of art from Palestine to literally an international stage so everybody can see how beautiful it is and how meritorious the artists are. And Nancy, um, I know uh, Roberto would be interested in knowing that we do have artists from Jerusalem featured uh, in, sure. uh, in the exhibit. So one of those artists is Namir Qasim. She has a painting uh, titled uh, Enough. Uh, also, um, Rula Halawani is a photographer, Palestinian photographer based in Jerusalem. And she also have uh, a photograph uh, featuring uh, a landscape that has been interrupted uh, by the building of Israeli settlements on it, uh, destroying the, the serene look of, of that environment. Um, and finally, Taki Sabatin is from the Jerusalem area, could be like maybe Bethlehem, Jerusalem. And uh, he's the artist that uh, Nancy has alluded to uh, a few minutes uh, ago. You are indeed the perfect uh, guest. You anticipated all of my questions. Um, and I just wanted to say that I also found the title of the exhibition in Venice extremely brilliant, uh, From Palestine with Art, obviously picking up from, uh, from another one. But uh, I was wondering uh, something a little bit more political. And I know that you are in your mission, you're trying to stay away from politics, but given the current events in Palestine, in Jerusalem in particular, I was wondering if you run into any political issue while you were preparing the exhibition for Venice and why actually the exhibition is unfolding in Venice as of now. Well, first of all, let me comment uh, about the name uh, from Palestine with art. Originally, we used a different name, uh, but that name somehow coincided with another exhibit that we've had. And the people at the Benali pointed that out and said, that's not acceptable. So we had uh, basically, uh, Nancy and I had about an hour to come up with an alternate name. And uh, we kicked that around and uh, we ended up with uh, from, we, 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 could, we didn't want to use from Palestine with love because that's really uh, a, a bit, uh, overused uh, so we thought from palestine with art will be unique and uh, the emphasis in that title is on the preposition from 
uh, from means uh, there is a physical place where this is from. And that physical place is Palestine, and therefore Palestine exists. So in a very subtle way, uh, that's a very strong um, testimony to the existence of Palestine. And as that title was accepted by the Venice Biennale, it, it, it's a great validation, uh, at least we think so, uh, of, of our belief that Palestine exists and we want people to know that it does exist. Uh, so that that's um, uh, what the name uh, is all about. Now, uh, as far as any oppositions, we experience none none whatsoever. And in, in Italy, we've uh, we worked with a lot of people in different cities. We used a printing company in uh, in in one city. We we used uh, framers in one. We used the photo printers. We've dealt with a lot of um, people, and we have a lot of friends from Italy who are supporting us. We we experienced nothing whatsoever. The only thing noteworthy is that maybe a couple of weeks ago we had a report from. The people that um, managed the entry and in, into the uh, Palazzo Mora, they said that there was a, a woman from uh, England came, looked at the exhibit, and, and came out. There was yelling at them, "How could you do that? How do you let them do this? There's no such thing as Palestine. There's no Palestinians, etc." And all we could think of that's a great validation for what we're doing. And if we solicit that reaction, that means we're we're really having an impact. And, and we see that as a sign of success of our message and the message is being delivered and some people are not comfortable uh, with that message that challenges uh, years of brainwashing that they've been undergoing. Uh, so we, we think that is very successful and uh, in the US also the museum has experienced none whatsoever, no pushback from anybody, no, no attacks or no uh, threats of any kind because uh, we are a museum, we are exhibiting art, uh, and we're telling a story through the arts, and uh, uh, nobody has any grounds for uh, attacking that. Uh, we, we are not, we're not yelling political slogans and accusing people of things. We're only touting uh, the steadfastness of Palestinians, and we're, we're showcasing Palestinian art, and uh, that is not a threat to anybody at least anybody who is not doing anything wrong. Yes, Roberto, we, we might point out also that um, it's very difficult to create fake news when you're not using words, but instead you're using photographs. So. I was asking that question very much because of the, um, uh, as an Italian myself, I noticed that in the past 20, maybe 30 years, there's been some sort of a shift where Italy, uh, I would say traditionally positioned itself as a country, uh, you know, looking with favor at the Palestinian cause uh, uh, from, you know, from all politicians, uh, from the right to the left. But as I said, in the last 20 to 30 years, there's been a shift and uh, the Palestinian question has become more controversial and in fact, more uh, political parties and member of various political parties have adopted a different stance on the question. Now, of course, Italy did not reach uh, Germany in, in a sense of adopting uh, uh, anti-BDS or specific, uh, you know, definition of, uh, you know, the Palestinian cause and so forth to create uh, uh, sort of political issues and problems with that. 
But I was just curious because, uh, again, uh, as you mentioned, given that Venice is also an international city uh, with visitors from around the world, I was curious if you know there were been cases, as you already mentioned, that would elicit some sort of response uh, from uh, the visitors. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, we, we have not seen any, and it could be due to our very clear and strong message that we are delivering. Anybody who wants to challenge what we're doing, bring it on. Uh, we are ready for it to, to answer that because we're convinced of what we're doing and we are not doing anything wrong in, in any way. Uh, we, are, we are showing art uh, and uh, we uh, appreciate countries uh, that allow for uh, freedom of expression, uh, particularly freedom of artistic expression. And we condemn the countries uh, that abridge that freedom and constrict the freedom of artistic expression. And we are concerned that Germany may be quickly turning into one of those countries. And the events that happened recently at the Documenta uh, really uh, make it clear that there are some attempts at restricting uh, artistic freedom of expression. And we, we definitely condemn that in, in, as long, in a very strong way. And, and we really call upon the proper authorities there uh, to uh, prosecute um, the people who per perpetrated uh, uh, these crimes uh, of defacing artwork and th issuing threats against artists. Uh, and we hope uh, that, that those acts, uh, those heinous acts will were uh, perpetrated by many, some people will not go un, unpunished or unchecked. I have just a couple more questions or so before at the end of our conversation. And Faisal, I would like to go back to the um, uh, museum. And if you can tell us and you know, tell the listeners a little bit more about uh, you know, the practicalities, how to visit, where the museum is located, uh, and how the museum is also interacting, perhaps uh, virtually, uh, with the rest of the world. Sure. Uh, first of all, uh, the um, the museum's website, uh, as we mentioned earlier, is palestinemuseum.us. Uh, so you can reach the, the website, um, and from the website, you can get more information. Uh, you can uh, buy books and buy other artifacts that are, and some artwork that's available there as well. And you can sign up for events, etc. The physical museum is located in a small town called Woodbridge outside of New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, and it is two hours by train from uh, New York City. Uh, and it's about 15 minutes from the train station um, to the museum. We're also about two hours to two and a half hours from the Boston area, depending on where you live in that area. So we're kind of halfway between Boston and New York. Uh, and we, we are within driving distance uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and all of New Jersey. Uh, so that's a, a huge um, demographic region uh, in the Northeast uh, of, of the United States. And uh, we do have people that drive hours uh, to come to the museum and visit it. Uh, and they bring their parents and their grandparents and their children 
to experience, you know, the Palestinian art and experience the first Palestinian museum in the, in, in the Western uh, hemisphere. Um, so uh, there's also uh, our website has a, a phone number and an email address for people who want to reach us. Um, and uh, I, my phone number is actually available to everybody. Uh, people can uh, call me anytime they want to, they want to visit the museum or have any questions. And uh, uh, I'm on call 24 hours a day, basically, for um, the, uh, at the service of, of people interested in the museum. And I will post all of the um, details of the museum, obviously, uh, on the podcast description. Nancy, I have a question for you. Um, the exhibition in Venice opened last uh, April 23rd, yes. if I remember well, and it will yes. close uh, in November, November 27, to be more precise. Yes. I was wondering, what are your expectations? Uh, my expectations have been met and exceeded at this point for starters. Um, there's an incredible amount of people seeing it. There was an incredible amount of publicity, um, newspapers, radio interviews, television interviews, um, all kinds of stuff. It's literally, people have told me that this is the talk of the town in Venice. Um, so I'm ecstatic about that. Um, we've had people visiting worldwide. Um, yeah, including just about every country, you know, th that exists at this point. Um, I've heard from a number of artists, um, very prominent artists internationally, who are very, very impressed with the work that we've done. Um, what I'd like, um, I'd like these, the artists who are featured in the exhibit um, to have their careers enhanced by being in that exhibit. Um, and I'm doing everything I can um, to make connections for them with other people in the art world, which is definitely working at this point. Um, needless to say, I wanna make sure that the museum is featured prominently, that people know about it, so that we can not only get people to the museum in Connecticut, but also have our museum feature exhibitions that we curate um, around the world. And that's happening as well. Um, I can't talk about exactly which ones now, but they're definitely on the way. So we'd like to become a key player for Palestinian art on the international stage, I think. And since we've gotten here so fast, I don't think that that's inordinate at this, at this point. Um, yeah. I just wanted also to say to the listener, there's a YouTube video available with uh, the opening ceremony of uh, From Palestine with Art, and uh, it is possible to take a quick peek at some of the works uh, exhibited there, uh, just watching the, the short video. I have one last question for both of you, uh, since we reached the end of our conversation. Is there anything that I didn't ask or we didn't tackle, but that you feel like you want to talk about? I think there's one question you didn't ask, uh, and that is, um, what kind of help uh, did we get? Um, and um, uh, we've gotten help from um, quite a number of individuals uh, who've been very generous with their time. We've received um, donations from uh, uh, maybe about 10, 10 people. Uh, uh, you know, some of them are Palestinian, some of them aren't. 
Um, we did not receive any help or any support from any organizations, any political entities or and any other uh, institutions uh, that exist either in Palestine or or in the United, United States or Europe, etc. So uh, the, the, the work that we produced and the effort that took place ha has been mostly internal uh, to the Palestine Museum. Uh, funded uh, 100% uh, by Palestinian efforts uh, internally. Uh, and we are still hoping that there's, uh, you know, several months left uh, uh, that uh, we may get additional uh, help now that everybody knows about this and how successful it is. Uh, the Needless to say, uh, doing a seven-month exhibition in Venice during the Binali is a very expensive proposition, and uh, and and that runs into a lot a lot of money, like they say. Uh, so we're hoping that um, that some people uh, will still um, join in in, in uh, join us uh, in in our history making and taking part in that. But from day one, um, I I told Nancy that um, this project is going to go. Uh, no matter, uh, there's no question that it's going to go. The question is that remains to be answered: is who's going to be part of it? Uh, who who's going to join us uh, in making history? And uh, there's still a few slots open for people to to join us uh, should they decide to. Yes, I I do want to just mention that um, the Connecticut Dep Department of Humanities. Um, has given the museum, not the exhibition necessarily, but the museum um, a small grant that enabled us to go ahead. Um, and they've recently told us that if we wanted to use that money toward the exhibition, that that would be fine because they're pretty proud of what we're doing as a Connecticut institution. These were Faisal Saleh, founder and director of Palestine Museum US, and Nancy Nesbitt, curator of the exhibition from Palestine with Arts, currently uh, available at the Biennale of Venice uh, from April 23rd to November 27. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So what is... Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, Please share it with others on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Jerusalem Unplugged. Thanks and I'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm.